May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I love saying to people, Happy Christmas. I like it for a couple of reasons. First is because what the Queen says every Christmas at her Christmas Day speech. She wishes the people of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland a happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, she says to them. And so I like that. I also kind of think that um, that maybe Merry Christmas in our context has been overly commercialized. You know, it's it's the language of shopkeepers as much as it is friends and neighbors. But the real reason I like to say happy Christmas to people is because it jars them. <laughs> you can see it. I mean, it's it's plainly provocative when you say Happy Christmas to somebody. They 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 like you know they almost like jerk their whole body's kind of reflex. That's that's not right, is it? You know, I mean, they they look at you sort of like you have two heads. Um, it's so close to being right. It's it's what we almost say, but it's not exactly. We don't say Happy Christmas. We say Merry Christmas. This is what we say. We say Merry Christmas, Joe. Are you an idiot? Were you born in a cave? You know, this is not right. It's close to being right, but not right. Employing just one tiny little word, happy, in the place of merry, can cause somebody to be so discombobulated. It's a lot of fun. You should really try it if you've never done it. Um, But I wonder, Happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, the Queen, she says Happy Christmas. Besides, what do we all think we are? Like Charles Dickens in the you know, 18th century walking around saying Merry Christmas? We don't say Merry for anything else other than Christmas. I think I'm going to start doing a double twist here. Not only am I going to say Happy Christmas, but I'm going to start wishing people a Merry Easter come springtime. You know, imagine what that's going to do. And I might even employ it all throughout summer, you know, you know a Merry Memorial Day. That has a little alliteration that goes with it, right? Come November, I'm wishing them a Merry Thanksgiving. And then I get to Christmas and I'll be a happy Christmas again. It'll totally mess up the world. So much fun from one tiny little word. But why shouldn't somebody be able to say Happy Christmas or Merry Easter? And you know why, right? Because it's not the way we do things. There's a way that we do things, and that's not the right way. It's close to the right way, but it's not the right way. It's wrong. Listen, knucklehead, this is the way we say it. Get with the program. My uh, One of my kids was telling me the other day that there's this um, new thing that the young people are saying, bet. Bet where they used to say cool. I'm like, how, what do you mean? Like, tell me how. how. How would you use this? Like, oh, Dave says to Brian, meet me down at the park and... You know, 5 o'clock, we'll shoot some hoops. Yeah, bet. And that's, that makes no sense at all. I said to him, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. He said, well, you know, that's what we do these days. That's the way they say it. But it's not just language, right? Language morphs and changes. We get used to this. It's where the milk goes in the refrigerator, isn't it? You know, it goes on the lower shelf on the right-hand side, right? Right, right, right? That's where it goes. Like, no, it doesn't. You, it's where the forks and the knives and the spoons go. Everybody knows salad fork, dinner fork, teaspoon, tablespoon, knives. You ever go to somebody's house and they're just like, they're just random? You know, you look in their drawer, you have to get something out, and you think to yourself, we have to leave. These people are monsters. You know, what's going on here? You know, this is totally chaos. We know the way life is supposed to work. The order things are supposed to go in. The language we're supposed to use. In the gospel lesson today, 
Matthew tells one of the uh, more famous stories here, only told by Matthew, this story of these um, magi uh, who, who come to visit the baby Jesus, the infant Jesus, maybe the young child Jesus. But anyway, the, these, these magi who come from the east, um, one commentator calls them uh, perhaps uh, Zoroastrian priests from Persia, perhaps from what would be modern Iran, traveling a long way to visit Jesus to see um, this one who was born, they say, the king of the Jews, because they say, we saw his star. These men who believe that, that God, if they are Zoroastrian, they would be a monotheist, this God sees, reveals himself in the heavens. What we're clear about is these men are not Hebrew men. They're not the family of Abraham. They're not the family of Jesus. They're outsiders to Israel. They're outsiders to the people of Israel. But they're interested. God has revealed something to us, and we want to see. We want to see this newborn king of the Jews. And so they show up, presumably in Jerusalem, and they're you know, asking around, does anybody know where this baby is born? And the king hears of it. This king is a ruthless, brutal king. He's shrewd, though. He's a shrewd politician. And he's like, whoa, 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 king. Nobody came to my house looking for a king. What's this thing about a king? And then there's this subtle shift. I don't know if you heard it in the text. Um, it's so slight. It's so easy to miss. The, 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 the Magi show up looking for a king. And here's what it says. Here's Matthew again. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? king of the Jews. For we saw his star and we rose to come worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born, where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. Not an ordinary child, not an ordinary king, a special one, a spiritual king. Herod's on to something here. Quick, get the Bible scholars in here. You know, get the priests in. We need clergy. We need Bible people. We gotta, we gotta figure out. Does has anybody ever read the Bible? Okay, we have some people. Where is this child supposed to be born? Bethlehem. Perfect. That's where he is. Go find him. Then call me. I want to see him too. So the Magi saddle up, and Matthew says, and the star reappears. They're, they're back you know, in route, and all of a sudden they see the star. It takes them to the, to the town, the village, to the house. Presumably knock on the door, and this young woman appears, Mary, with her child Jesus. And you know the story. They give gifts. They worship. And presumably they go somewhere and bed down for the night, ready to head back to Jerusalem the next day when they're warned in a dream. Maybe they're all warned in a dream. We don't know, or just one of them. But they have a dream, and the warning says, don't go back to Herod. So they take off, and they head home another way. This story is fascinating to me for so many reasons, but primarily because of this one. It shows the work of God. It's so subtle. The work of God drawing people to himself. You know, these are not Jews, as I said. They're not Hebrews. These men come from the East. Are, they're, they're not part of the Hebraic religion. They don't read the Torah. They don't practice that religious way of life. They, they understand the working of God by, by looking at the stars in the sky. They're astrologers of anything. And yet God reveals himself to them. 
people like me, clergy people, you know, um, we're the worst. We, we, we are, we're charged with, with setting the boundaries. You know, we, we, um, we're the gatekeepers. We, we know who's allowed in and who's not. And, and I have these massive books on all the things that you're supposed to do. I mean, I'm not just talking about the books that understand this, but I'm talking about the way that we're supposed to do things. I could bring you these books on the, on the, on the Eucharist and the way that I'm supposed to stand and where I'm supposed to put my hands and all the things that I mess up all the time. And they're massive. They're these huge books. It's, it's all ridiculous. And we know how to inspect one another and, and to judge who's the insider and who's the outsider. And all of that's good and well, I suppose. But it almost teaches us to forget that we're not in charge. That God is in charge. This is His program. And that His program is about a rescue program. A rescue program for all people. All people. Marie, that's all people, right? All people includes all people. And it's not just people. It's all of creation. I think the rescue plan of God revealed in Scripture is about all of creation, not just all people, but at the very least, it's all people. And that God reveals himself in this rescue plan in the way he deems necessary. The Magi come to seek Jesus because they saw stars in the sky. And when they get to the wrong place... God reveals himself through the writings of the prophet Micah, through the pages of scripture. Oh, you know, right neighborhood, wrong zip code. Okay, we're, we're on our way. Lastly, God reveals himself to the Magi in a dream. Don't go that way home. Go this way home. It's all about the work of God revealing himself to human beings. And so I think it means this, this passage at least means a lot of things, but to me this, that God has a mission. God is on mission. We think that we are the ones who have a mission. We write mission statements. We're all about you know, what our mission is, the mission of the church, the mission of this and that. God has a mission. It's important for us to get on board with that mission. And in God's mission, this is true, there are no insiders and outsiders. There are no insiders and outsiders. Paul will write it later. The Apostle Paul will write something like this. Um, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one. In the Messiah Jesus. The second thing is this that God's methods, off, methods often shock us because they're so unconventional and unexpected. We sometimes think that the work of mission is all about our cleverness, our efforts, our ability to gather resources, our skills, to call people, to send people, to raise money, and all this sort of stuff. And I'm not against any of that. But God will accomplish God's will. God is at work. It's his mission. He's going to accomplish his mission. And sometimes it might seem rather unconventional to us. And so when that guy tells you that he saw Christ on the cross in his morning toast, I mean, maybe he's crazy, but maybe he's not. You know, my own story, my own, my own coming to Jesus story in a very simple way is just like this. That one day I went, I went to church for a couple months um, regularly. I grew up going to church almost never. But I, I went to church for a couple months, three or four or five times. It was like Charlie Brown's teacher was the preacher. You know, it was like wah, 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 wah. Made no sense at all. I struggled to stay awake. And one day I went home from work in the middle of the week. Woke up. I'm dead sleep. 
the panic in my heart. The only thing I could think to do was call a pastor. The one I'd been going to church, and I call him, and I'm like, I don't know what this is all about. And he meets with me, and he says, you should pray. And I don't know how to pray, and so I faked it. I don't know if you're supposed to do that. <laughs> you know, I said, do I have to do it out loud? He said, no, you can do it quietly. So I sat there quietly and think, how long will it take until he thinks it's legitimate? You know what I mean? And, and I walked out of his office feeling absolutely no different than I had when I walked in. And a little bit later, I go to see Abby. We're dating. I pick her up. We go for a ride in the car. And I begin to tell her what happened. Why are you up? Why are you here? Because I had this panic, and I went to see this pastor, and he was like Charlie Brown's teacher, and I don't know anything, but then I tried to pray. And, and as I began to tell her that, you can think I'm crazy. You can think that I saw Jesus in my toes. I don't care. Here's what happened. In my mind's eye, not with my own eyes, but in my mind's eye, I saw Christ on the cross, and I began to cry. I'm driving. I'm behind the wheel, bawling like a baby, and I have to pull over the side of the road. I can't control myself. It was so overwhelming. Now, that's not the way it's going to happen for anybody else. But God revealed himself to me, and it changed my life. I like to wish people a happy Christmas because it jars them, it's unsettling to them, and I cannot wait to wish somebody a Merry Easter. It's going to be awesome. But until then, we'll just have to satisfy ourselves with the astonishing, astounding, unconventional ways of our Creator God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.